Hello and welcome to the Post to Post podcast take two. This is the second time I've done this intro. The first time I forgot to hit the record button because as you can see, we are using a new recording software. Um, I'm at my house, Neil is at his house, and Brent is joining us from Prince Edward Island because we can't all be together right now. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Great, this great is a complicated setup. Yeah. We've got, uh, we're all recording our video separately, but our audio is being fed and recorded online and it'll be put together later. So it, it's a complicated process, but this might work. Yeah, we've, um, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done anything. I know we put out that video saying we're back and then um, we're kind of going through a medical thing right now where the doctors are advising us not to get COVID. Like you really got to not get it. So we're totally healthy. Everyone here is really healthy, but um, for the next couple weeks we have to make sure that we're not going to catch it so we're kind of isolating when we can taking some time off of work just going into work a couple times so um, that's what's up with that so we haven't actually been able to physically get together um, so I, I was looking online today saying hey what's what kind of software what kind of programs are out there to be able to make us do this remotely and I came across this program that we're using right now so we're going to give this a shot this is our, our test subject if you will so if this goes well we can do another one next week and if it's not so great, then we'll, whatever, we'll take your feedback and you guys can let us know what you think. But it's awesome because we can have Brent join the podcast again. Yeah, and it has really high quality audio as well. And that was the most important thing is to, because, you know, there's a lot of degradation stuff through audio noise and artifacts and all that crap when you're talking online. And this seems pretty stellar audio wise. So fingers crossed that this is a good successful test. Yeah. So Brent, why don't you tell us what you've been up to since it's been a little while since you've been on the pod? It has been a little while. Uh, I have been working full out. Uh, I transported all my office equipment to my home, and I have a little corner of the basement set aside in the uh, out in the, the rec room, or the man cave, as I call it. And I've been working actually more hours than usual. Typically, I would go into work for 7.30 or 8 o'clock, and I'd work till 3.30 or 4 o'clock and then leave. Now I'm downstairs at quarter to seven, typically. I'm online getting through the VPN server, doing work all day, and sometimes I just lose track of time, and I look down at my watch, and it's 4 or 4.30, and I've already done well more than my seven and a half hours that, that I owe the people of Canada every day. So I'm uh, getting a lot of work done. I'm uh, doing, uh, I, think, I think I'm doing good work. I, I'm being told that things are going quite well, so that's all good. But it's a totally different way of doing things. We've all gone through it, but... Uh, I'm now trying to manage my 35 or so people remotely using technology just like this, like what we're doing now with the podcast. I, I sit like this basically all week long. I have headphones on. I'm either on the phone or I'm on Zoom or I'm on Microsoft Teams or I'm on something else. And it's just constantly looking at a camera, uh, listening on headphones, trying to take notes uh, and trying to coordinate all these things with various platforms at various times of the day. It's uh, it's a little crazy, but I actually like it. And uh, I'm thriving, I think, in my little corner office. And uh, if we don't go back to work anytime real, real soon, I think I'll be okay with that. That was going to be my follow-up question is if how you, how are you liking this? But it sounds like you're liking it quite a bit. I am liking it quite a bit. I do miss the you know personal connection, the social interaction you get with people in the office. They're really good folks to work with. And it's it's not fun to just be sitting in a corner all day long, not seeing anybody other than maybe on a screen like this. But uh, for the most part, if it's about getting the work done, if it's about the production part of the work that I do, I like it a lot because I can actually devote more attention to that without people knocking on my cubicle wall or coming by. Uh, there's still ways that, that people can get a hold of me if they need to, but I can also put up a message saying, 
I'm busy right now or do not disturb uh, because I'm into something that I just can't be taken away from. And other people on the system will see that and then they'll wait till later before they try to message me or something. So it's actually working quite well. What would you say, what would you say the pulse of the city is that you live in? Com- like maybe now compared to maybe like a month and a half ago. Well, a month and a half ago, I don't know what the pulse was because I wasn't over there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, we, we took the isolation thing to heart here in our household. And Neil's mother and I, we did not go out except maybe one of us once a week would go out and get groceries or, or do something uh, that, you know, the essentials. We did not go out. And I think that the pulse was pretty low key. Now, the last several days, maybe a week or two, I've been out a lot more often because there has been a relaxation here, as there has been in a lot of places. And to look at the city streets and to look at the cars and the traffic, you would think it's almost normal, actually. But when you do get into some facility, whether it's a a mall or a a store somewhere, there's a lot fewer people around than there usually would be. So I don't know who's driving all the cars, but they're not in the stores necessarily. It's not crowded in the stores. People are being very careful. And for the most part, they're doing the right things, although... We have our share of ding dongs, just like everybody else. I'd say that's I'd say that's about what the same as here. Would you say, Neil? Like, it- um, yeah. So I'm back to work now. I'm on the roads every morning and every every afternoon coming home from work, and there are a ton of people on the road. It feels like everything's basically back to normal here now. They just announced recently in New Brunswick a couple of days ago, or maybe yesterday, that it is going to be mandatory for all New Brunswickers to wear a mask any time you enter a public store like a grocery store or walmart or anything like that so masks masks are becoming basically mandatory uh in our province which is good timing on my part because i did uh, end up buying 10 masks on uh, amazon so i'm ready but i know a lot of people aren't because you you can't go anywhere to buy them here they're just they're all sold out so yeah. i mean if you can't get, if you can't go into a store because you don't have a mask then how are you supposed to go into a store to buy a mask to go into the store <laughs> does that make sense yeah, it does. I, I have several orders out, actually. I, I have an order that shipped from wherever, uh, and it's still not here, and I don't really have tracking on it. I think I bought it through Amazon, but I'll, I'll have to check. I, I have Back in March, I ordered a whole bunch of stuff, said, like, just I don't care if I get more than I need, just something, please come this way. And I've got one order so far, and so I do have some masks. Uh, we also, uh, your mother and I, were in Canadian Tire. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, as much as I hate them for a lot of reasons, we were in there and they actually had masks for sale. They had really? black ones and white ones. And they're like a little bag of two for four ninety nine or something. It was probably way more wow. than they're worth, but they're reusable, washable masks. So we snapped a couple up right away. So we have, I have, I keep one now in my pants pocket. So if I'm going anywhere, I've never had to put it on yet. But at some point, if I do think I need to, I have one to throw right on right quick. Nice. So... PEI is like a, I think most people know, PEI is very much a tourist province. Like, um, do they have plans to let tourists in like this summer or is it just people who own property in on the island? Yeah, the first the first group will be people who own property in the island. Not only this own property, but they're actual seasonal residents. So if you're someone who normally would come here in May and maybe stay till October and for several months of the year, you're a resident of PEI, then you will be allowed to come and live on your property as long as you self-isolate for 14 days, just like any other newcomer or returning visitor. And then and you're tested all the way through and you're phoned every day to make sure you're home. Although everyone here is going to have a cell phone. They can say they're home. I don't know how that, someone will work that out. 
and it's going to be done by geographical area. So the first people that will be allowed in, they have to apply first, and only after they get accepted are they allowed to come. Uh, but the first people allowed to apply and get accepted will be from Atlantic Canada, so it'll be Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, as well as the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, and the Yukon. So oh, those provinces, yeah, those areas can come first. Then phase two will be BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and then phase three, if we ever get there, will be Quebec and Ontario because we're the mm. most scared of Quebec and Ontario. Yeah, mm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then generally speaking, I, may, I forgot the rest of the question, Jason. Generally speaking, uh, New Brunswick and PEI and I think a bit of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland are having discussions right now about maybe later in the summer. If things stay in a good zone, we, we know New Brunswick has a hiccup right now and there's a few lingering cases in Nova Scotia. But if things stay positive, we may be able to relax the border restrictions between just our provinces themselves, among our provinces in Atlantic Canada. So maybe we'll have a larger bubble of the four provinces or three provinces uh, to allow people to travel a little bit. But as you say, Jason, PEI is built on tourism. Even if we do all of that, uh, we're going to have a real serious economic impact here. Cruise ships basically are canceled for yeah. the entire cruise ship season. And that's a killer for Charlottetown where I am. Uh, we were expecting 70 or 80 cruise ships in, uh, sometimes several a day, several a week. Uh, we were expecting hundreds of thousands of passengers here on our shores, and we're not going to get any of those this time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you think about PEI, the population is, just, I think, 156,000 now. And the tourism members, I think, are above 2 million tourists a year. So the yeah. percentage of people who come to the island just in the summer months is unbelievable. So it's such a crucial hit to the economy of PEI. So they really want to open up. But at the same time, there's only 27 cases in PEI and they're all non-active. So, sure. you know, there's that bouncing act of, do we want to let people in and, and put ourselves at risk? Uh, well, we kind of, you know, we kind of need the money from an uh, economy standpoint. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. That's right. And damned if you do is what happened in, in the case of uh, the premier and the chief medical officer of health here. Uh, they made the announcement a couple of weeks ago that we were going to start trying to find ways to let landowners and seasonal residents come. And the the reaction they got from that announcement, it wasn't fully made at the time, probably rushed out the door a little bit by somebody. But the, the public, not everybody, but a good-sized sample of the public went crazy. They were so upset because they'd worked so hard to keep our numbers down, to keep us protected and here we were succeeding, and all of a sudden they were going to open the door and let all these people in. But now they, I think people are more at peace with it because they understand that they're going to be tested when they come across the bridge or at the airport. They're going to be tested at least twice more during that two-week period that they're self-isolating. And at the end of the 14 days, they're going to be tested to make sure that they still don't have it, and then they'll be allowed out into the general population. So I think it's a fairly safe control and safeguard. And if anything goes sideways, we are equipped to deal with it. The emergency facility at the hospitals is still there in case it's needed. We've got all these ventilators standing by. So if things do go a little squirrely, uh, we're probably going to be okay as long as we can keep the genie in the bottle. And it'd be nice if the borders open too, because I mean, I imagine, Neil, you want to get home for a visit too. And let's just say you went home for a 30 minute visit. Right now, you'd have to get there, spend 14 days in a bedroom, have your 30 minute visit come back home and then spend another 14 days in your other bedroom. 
Exactly. I think in the last podcast, maybe I uh, explained my situation about my driver's license a little bit. But right now, my driver's license is physically expired. Um, PEI has legally extended the expiration dates till July 16th, I think, or something like that. So legally, I'm still allowed to drive. But physically, my card says it is expired. Now, I can't get a New Brunswick driver's license here because I don't have two forms of bills for the place that I live. It's everything's included at the apartment that I live. So I can't get an MB license. I can't go back to PEI to get that license. So I'm kind of in a weird position here of what I'm going to do. So I really want to go back to PEI, but I can't. So uh, it's it's tough. Uh, also, Dad, didn't someone go to the premier's house? Yeah, I think that was a little bit, yeah, it was a little bit misunderstood or blown out of proportion. The premier was away for the day. It was during the daytime. He had just left, I think, to go to work. And he got a phone call from his wife, uh, who was reporting that there was some disturbance going on outside. And it was this guy. And he was probably had his voice raised and he was making a, a scene about this new idea to let some people back in to the island. And... The cops were called because he was not in a position. He was in a meeting, actually, and for a while they would not interrupt him in the meeting. And finally someone got word to him that this is his wife and it's urgent. Um, So in the meantime, the cops were called and they attended the scene. But then the guy had left. Apparently it turned out he was a neighbor and he wasn't a a belligerent person and there was no threat. There was no uh, endangerment or anything, but it it had a bad smell to it at first. It didn't look like it was going to go well. So anyway, I think it's all been settled. There's no charges later or anything like that, but it had a bad start, but I think a, a much calmer finish. Interesting. That's still scary, though. Oh, yeah. And, and New Brunswick was kind of the same in a way because we were doing, how long was it new? We were going like two weeks with no cases or maybe oh, a little yeah, more. Yeah, I, I think it was at least two weeks. It was yeah. a long time. Like We were on a roll. Like um, I know when we when New Brunswick started setting the, the, the return to work and opening things up, they were kind of leading the country in some aspects and like some of the national media was kind of pointing to it. But yep. then we had a, we had a doctor up North who traveled to Quebec um, on a personal matter, which he wasn't supposed to do. And when he came back, he actually brought it back with him and he spread that to a bunch of people up in the Northern part of the province. So that's kind of opened a can of worms for us up. So, and now yeah, one guy it's is unbelievable. Died. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, one of the older, like, cause there was a couple of people that he visited. I don't know if he visited the old people's home or if it was a, a person from there went and visited him. Cause he was a, he was a medical doctor. So he was seeing patients and they were his patients. And anyway, they went back to the, to the home and they, they spread it to other people and they're all elderly people. So they're at high risk. So a couple of them went into the ICU and then they came out. And then unfortunately one of them, I think he was 74 years old. He actually passed away from it. So he was 84. Uh, it's really sad. Yeah. Oh, 84. Yeah. yeah really sad. Yeah. Terrible. I, I assume that there'll be criminal charges against that doctor. Well, it's interesting because he came out and said that he, he didn't feel like the public was treating him well or the the medical society was being unfair to him and it was just an error in judgment even though you know the borders are closed to everybody. And I, I'm not really – I find it hard to take his side a little bit. but I find it really hard. I find it really hard to pull for him. Of all the people – of all the types of people who should know in society – Medical professionals, particularly medical doctors themselves, should know uh, what the rules are and how important it is to follow them. Here we are celebrating our emergency technicians and our nurses and our doctors and our firefighters and, and those other people, celebrating them for all the courage they're showing and for the hard work they're doing. And then to have one of those people, uh, not representing the rest of them, obviously, but one of those people themselves actually 
bring the disease or apparently bring the disease into the province suddenly from elsewhere, from a place like Quebec, where the incidence is the highest of anywhere in Canada, of all places to not go right now, that would be one of them. And I, I read a little bit more about his story. He has been identified. He did give an interview to the CBC mm-hmm. French network, and he's been identified. And now there's an element of 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 him feeling a, a bit uh, victimized because he thinks he's been the victim of of racial epithets as well. Because he is an he is a doctor from outside of Canada. And he comes from a foreign country. And uh, he thinks that some of the, the criticism is based on his skin color. Um, and I don't know what the criticism is. I'm not up there, and I'm really not watching social media up there. But uh, I didn't know where he was from for several days after this was found out. And I was seeing uh, some of the criticism, which was probably the same for anybody, no matter who they would be. Uh, so I don't know that that's an element of this. But uh, in any in any event, it's just darn sad and as far as charges go frankly everybody who gets sick and certainly in this case there's a death uh, i think the charges could be pretty severe here uh, if they wanted to go that way with it it might be hard to get a charge like that to stick but when you violate a public health order that is done for the purposes of keeping people from dying and you violate the order and someone dies and it's almost directly attributable to you eh? i wonder Mm. He was trying to defend himself by saying, well, you know, some of these people are some of the employees that work at this home. They actually live in Quebec and they travel across the border every day. So, I mean, if they're traveling across the border for work, what's wrong with me traveling? And I was like, well, you didn't travel for work. You went there on a personal matter to pick up a child, I believe it was, and then come back across. And then when he came back across, he didn't self-isolate. He just went back to work the next day. So, I mean, I don't think that this could be like, you know, a 50 year old white guy. And I don't think. I would feel any different about it for sure. And I don't think the general public would either because you're totally right. It was quite a few days before people actually knew who it was. It was just some doctor up in the Campbellton region. And it, that was all we knew. And everyone's opinions didn't really change. I don't think when they found out who it was. I know mine didn't. That's, I just, I just, sorry, Neil, so go ahead. I was just going to say, that's, that's all I knew until this moment. I didn't even know he was of a different race until you just told me. So yeah, like my, my opinion's the exact same. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for everybody. I know it has nothing to do with my opinion because my opinion was formed initially on the presumption that if he was a doctor from the local area and the uh, ethnic makeup of the local area is almost 100% uh, Caucasian, I just figured he was. Uh, Mm -hmm. And my mind hasn't changed on my feeling as to the nature of his offense. If there is an offense, I think it's pretty pretty large. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't care what race he is. He's an idiot. Mm, Speaking of race... Speaking of race, there's a lot of race stuff going down in the States right now. Have you guys been following that? Oh, I mean, it's almost yeah. impossible not to. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough to watch. I never thought I'd see anything knock COVID off the pages so quickly as, <laughs> as any, anything. Sorry, Jason. No, that's okay. I was just going to say, if, to follow up your COVID remarks, um, we went from COVID to everyone you know, social distancing to protesting and nobody social distancing, like mass crowds everywhere. Yeah, so it's in terms in terms of opening the the borders with the states. Ugh, like I don't, I just don't see that happening anytime soon when that kind of stuff is happening down there. Yeah, you have to think about the people in Canada too. Even regardless of COVID nineteen, there are people in Canada who sympathize with both sides, regardless of what your viewpoint is. 
there could be people who want to go or leave from Canada to go down there and help with the protests or, you know, start mischief or do whatever. So there's not just COVID that you have to think about with the borders. There's other stuff as well. And it's it's so complicated. 2020, it's like people will be making documentaries about 2020 for the next 30 years. And uh, there, I bet you there's so many things that we don't know about right now that will come out in these documentaries in the next 30 years. If you like documentaries, regardless of what's going on now, <laughs> like it's it's kind of cool that we're living through it and stuff, even though it's all bad. But if you're a fan of documentaries, like the next 20 years is going to be an, an excellent opportunity to get educated on a lot of stuff. Oh, no question. And it's uh, this intersection of so many oddball things like the there is a part of our criminal code, and I'm sure there is a similar one in the States where if you commit an offense with your face covered, there's extra prison time tacked on because covering your face during the commission of an indictable, indictable offense adds to the seriousness of the charge. It's like carrying a weapon. I didn't them. know that. Yeah. And now here we're telling everybody to cover their face. So <laughs> so we've got this collision of, of public health saying one thing, and, and, and now we're putting people into positions where there's the, the rioting and the looting and all that, and people have their faces covered. You can't tell the, the bad guys from the good guys. And it's just like, if, if anything could go wrong here, it's going to go wrong. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> and we're only halfway through the year, boys. Halfway through the year. Yeah, there the election go. hasn't even happened yet. No, oh, that's going to be so fun. And as, and as I know, we're not going to talk politics here, and we definitely shouldn't, uh, a pain of death. But uh, put it this way, it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens this fall. Fascinating. Whichever way you think it wants to play out. Uh, I'm not going to miss this election for all the tea in China. No offense. Yeah, regardless <laughs> of who you're, who you like or who you don't like, whatever. Just, just sitting back and watching it happen is going to be uh, enjoyable but painful at the same time. I think. So yeah, kind of transitioning this conversation to hockey a little bit. Um, what do you guys think of all the players coming out and speaking out on the Black Lives Matter stuff? Because we don't normally see that stuff from from players. So. Um, I think Evander Kane might have been the first one to do it. And I just want to ask you guys your opinion. Like, do you think this is a boiling point and the players are finally speaking out? Or do you think there's been like an internal memo saying, you know, it'd be it's it would look good on the NHL if the players started speaking out and maybe players are now being encouraged to do so from somewhere up above? Like, is this is this a natural thing or is this kind of a, an encouragement thing? What do you guys think? I don't know. Uh, I per- I personally think it's a natural thing. I don't I, think I think they so too. Could make the suggestion to uh, voice or to you know make a stand or whatever. I I don't think that that's right. I think whatever happens is probably natural. Like Tyler Sagan recently mm. was uh, attending one of the protests, and uh, I thought was I thought that was really cool. So uh, I it's I think it's nice to see the athletes be involved and use their voice in a positive way stuff as long as the things are done respectful and it doesn't get heated or offensive or anything like that and you know they're going about it the right way which from what i've seen they all have mm-hmm. uh, at least in hockey then you know that that's totally fine with me i think that's that that shines a really good light on uh, the nhl yeah i would agree and i, and I hope i hope you guys are, are right i i hope it's not gary you know getting on the phone to players agents saying hey we'd like them to do this or this um i really do hope it's spontaneous and it comes from uh, someone's inner soul, uh, as opposed to it being some kind of orchestrated PR maneuver. Uh, this is very much, I think, an individual thing. Uh, there are people who will be more or less inclined to want to make their views public. 
Some people will be quite happy to keep their views private and do all kinds of good work and good deeds without ever getting on camera or Instagram or or whatever. Um, so it's it's this is so different. Like I, you guys wouldn't remember this probably because of your age, but back in the 1990s there was race riots in L.A. over the Rodney King affair. You might have heard of Rodney King. You might not know the whole story, but basically he was a victim of police brutality as well. It was a situation not unlike uh, the George Floyd situation, but not identical, but it wasn't uh, unlike it. And there were there was lots of unrest. It seemed to be confined to the larger cities and particularly L.A. But this time we see, like here in Charlottetown, we've had marches. They've had marches in Halifax, I presume, and other parts of Atlantic Canada, uh, where no one in the United States administration of police policing is watching what we're doing. But people are rising up on their own because they think it's an important time to say something that's very important. And uh, I think it's all great that they're doing it as long as they can keep themselves separated from the the hangers-on who will follow them up the street and start smashing windows when the peaceful protesters are, are looking the other way. Yeah, you mm. think back and through history and, and all the good things we have now because of the protests about bad things. Protesting is, is actually like super crucial to the evolution of, of society and stuff. It's, it is really important. It's so unfortunate that we have the looting and the, the shootings and, you know, just the burning and all that stuff taking place when that's not really what it's about. Like it's, no, it's, it's about getting our voices heard. And something like I, I watched what Killer Mike had to say and what the mayor of Atlanta had to say and other people like the, the killing or sorry, the, the looting. And there's I think six or seven have died in these various clashes. But the looting is all happening to often uh, people of colors, businesses. You know, it's it's minority owned businesses that are the ones that are getting trashed here, not the people that you'd want to uh, leave a big, strong message with. It's your own people. And. Uh, all these people that will essentially break into and completely uh, uh, clean out a drugstore, and then the next day they got nowhere to go get their pharmaceuticals, their legitimate pharmaceuticals, yeah. because like it, it's so short-sighted. This has nothing to do with the protest. These are just people who want free stuff, and this mm -hmm. is a great time to go get it because the cops are all busy. It's a, uh, it's a shame. L let me ask you this: Do you think this complicates things for the hub city? that the NHL is trying to choose? Like, are they more likely to choose a city in Canada now because of everything that's going on in the States? Yeah, that's a very good point. I had not thought of that, but I think that's that's a very interesting question that they might have to face. Some place like Edmonton, uh, that has definitely, they're being, they've been saying, you know, hey, don't forget us, we're here. Um, that might be way more attractive these days with all this that's going on. Because if it happens in the United States, it, Pick any city you want, St. Louis, whatever. We'll just we'll just pick St. Louis for now. If it happens in St. Louis, people who aren't even associated or even like hockey might get wind of an event going down in the city and be like, "Why are we playing sports right now? Uh, like there is a huge issue at hand. Who has time for sports right now? Let's let's stop this." And they might end up doing something to the arena or where the players are staying or something like that. So that worries me, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's. it's it's hard to say because I think the biggest thing holding Canada back right now that everyone seems to be talking about is the, the isolation time because the United States, they've said if the players are going into the United States, they don't have to isolate. They can just go right into their bubble and then they can begin their isolation there and then it's fine. And from everything I've been hearing, it's just Canada's not agreed to, to kind of create 
workarounds for that yet, but I mean, it's still potentially two months away. So, I mean, by then there could be, you know, enough progress in the country that they begin having those conversations. So I think it'd be really good to have one of the cities in Canada personally, but um, I don't know. I know NBC would definitely like to have them both in the States, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I, of course, if we're talking virtually no spectators, perhaps possibly family members. I guess that's not been decided, but essentially they're going to be empty arenas and we're all going to be watching on TV. And it may as well Mm -hmm. be in Puerto Rico uh, or Iqaluit. Like it really shouldn't matter where physically it is. Um, So I don't know. I guess there's a bit of an economic spinoff to the host city because there's going to be hundreds of people there that would not otherwise be there. So they'll be eating, they'll be buying things, they'll be getting clothes cleaned and all that. Um, but it's, I think it's pretty negligible, really, to be the city mm. if you're not going to get gate. It's not the it's not the impact that you would normally have because not only are you not getting the gate, but you're also not having all the hotels full of fans, all of the restaurants and the bars full of fans, and even people who aren't getting tickets to the game, they'll go to the city and they'll go to a local bar just to have a party after the game is over. Like none of that totally. is going to be going on. Uh, I have a really interesting question to ask you guys, and I'm I'm pretty sure you've neither of you have probably even considered it yet but uh jason i know that you are very aware of this topic and we can get into that in a little bit and dad as of recently you are as well but how do you feel about some kind of virtual reality or vr thing being implemented into this empty seats in one of these uh, arenas where fans could uh, experience the game in a vr setting i think that a vr type I don't know if you call it a broadcast or not, but a camera, but I think that is inevitable in the next 10 years, like a hundred percent, like, like in terms of like the VR I have is very like niche. Like not a lot of people have the one I have. Cause I mean, you have to have decent hardware and stuff to run it, but Facebook is really pushing the mobile ones where you don't have to have a computer and they hooked up. You just put it on your head. There's like yeah. a mobile processor in there. Like that's the future. Like they're not even really focused on the high end computer ones anymore. They're focused on these mid range ones. So people can have like virtual meetings and virtual experiences just wherever they are. So um, I could definitely see it. Like all it would be is just one camera somewhere in the building that everyone logs into. And then you just, it's just like you're sitting there. Well, um, no, that, I think that doesn't I, take. So you mean like for every out. seat? Not for every seat, but maybe every section had one camera. And you know, if you wanted to spend, 20 bucks you could be in the upper of the bottom uh level or if you want to spend 50 bucks you'd be right up along the glass or if you want to only want to spend five bucks you know you're in the nosebleeds or something you can pay based on uh you know what you what you want to watch or what what angle you want to watch or what you're willing to pay see the interesting thing about it is um you don't really need um Hmm. it's not reserved to one viewer to one camera right so you you could have like a 360 high resolution camera and you could have 1500 people all on that camera at once because it's just exactly, one yeah. it's just one 360 video playing and then you have your goggles on and then you're just looking around so you're actually looking in whatever way you want while the other 1500 people that are also using that camera are looking at what they want to look at so there's totally it's it's really cheap for for someone to implement that because all it is is just a 360 camera that's broadcast to the internet and then you could you probably wouldn't even have to pay that much to access that i wouldn't think i think that'd be something that'd be fairly cheap like i'd be surprised you know 20 30 bucks anything more than that would be too much i think yeah, I agree, and I think I think one of the main issues right now is the uh, the quality. Uh, mm-hmm. Some 360 cameras are, you know, not not the greatest, and especially when you're if you're watching it live streaming, uh, bandwidth is obviously an issue. So there are definitely things to work out. Where I don't know if we're close, but it's going to happen for sure. Oh, it's 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 something so simple that 
There would be a market it's, for that. It's there, just, there just would be a market for that. Totally. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's even I would honestly a, contribute. It doesn't even have to be a 360 camera. It could be a, a 160 camera. Because really, yeah, it could be like a 180, just left or absolutely. right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it'd so be that cool might help because the quality side. Because you could have like arena audio pumped into that VR, and you don't necessarily have to listen to the broadcast thing. So you're not. And let's just say you pay, you know, twenty nine ninety nine to watch the VR cameras. You could have access to all of those cameras at once. So you, depending on what what end your team's at, or depending on what, you could just click, 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 and change your position in the rink anytime you wanted to. Yeah, if there's multiple games going on, you could choose whatever game you want to watch and on whatever camera. There's so many possibilities. Based on what I've said in the past about my frustration with the hockey cameras that are in this in the uh, uh, rinks and, and the guys in the switching truck showing us stuff we don't want to see, you know, the goalie squirting the water bottle on his mouth and all that stuff that no one ever looks at, and they're always so late getting to the fight. They're always showing other things. And then there's a fight over there. You can hear it. You can hear them talking about it, but you can't see it for 10 seconds. Um, the VR thing, I am i haven't thought of it before this very moment, but I'm really excited, especially so since when I was in Fredericton a couple of months ago, just before the lockdown, we were at Jason's house and I tried his headset on and I'd had one VR experience before that. And that was with a, a, a set of some kind of a system that Neil had where I put, I think it was your galaxy phone was in front of me was it not it was yeah and i made you wear headphones and i turned the fan on you and you were flying <laughs> and even that was cool but if it, it was not to the same degree of technology as jason's but just having that one of jason's on where i can sit in a movie theater if i want to or i can sit almost in in any configuration and turn my head and actually see and focus on things as they were happening to have that ability to transport myself into an arena a hockey rink you could actually, with these cameras strategically placed, you could have a rink that normally holds 21,000 people. And with all the people logging on and paying to virtually watch the game, you could have 120,000 people watching that hockey game. You could get more gate from that than Absolutely. ever. You could have and that's what I mean. It doesn't, need, it doesn't need to be a pricey thing either. Like you could charge, you know, 10, 20 bucks a game or or whatever it could be cheap but if you have a lot of people doing that that's significant revenue i would think oh yeah oh, and you could pay a yearly fee of 250 dollars or whatever it's just 250 dollars flat fee you can use it for the rest of the year or the season or whatever yeah you so. get 40 what is the 40 whatever home games 41 42 41, whatever um, it is yeah and then yeah. you just you know that's i'd do that 100 percent. i would do that i, I, I would, would totally do that. do that absolutely i would definitely do that yeah nhl if you're listening there you go <laughs> So one yeah. of these things I've had the opportunity to do when I've been isolating is listen to a lot of podcasts. And I was actually listening to the 31 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman and uh, Jeff Merrick. And they actually had the producer of Hockey Night in Canada on for one of their episodes. His name is Shirelli Najak, I believe. And they talked to him about what's hockey going to look like when play resumes. And the conversation immediately made me think of you two guys because... If you guys listen to this interview, I don't think you're going to like almost anything that he said. Like, it's just, oh, really? you just, he's talking about how they need to reinvent the wheel. This is going to be a big opportunity that everyone's going to be watching. It's time for them to, to take a risk and try something different. And they want more uh -oh. camera angles. They want, oh. um, they want to play music while plays going on because what, um, he, he was Never. saying like, they want to play music. They want to, they're going to go ahead and pick tracks in advance 
that they need to work into the broadcast. And then depending on what plays happening, they want the, you know, the people in the truck to be able to incorporate that music while it's happening. And then when a big moment comes up, that's when they know to back off the music and kind of just let the game sounds take over. And I'm just like, no, that's not what anybody is wanting. Oh and he's saying God. how, and he's, he's saying how it's important that they listen to the, to, to the viewers and, They've actually gone and done interviews with players, asking players what they want to see changed and how they want to change interviews because a lot of players don't like doing those stupid interviews where they give the same answers. So they actually talked about that and said, you know, what kind of things would you like? And the players said, we don't want you to ask the same stupid questions about how are we going to recover after this, you know, two goal deficit? How is our power play going to recover? We want you to ask us personal questions about stuff that people don't know about. That's what the players want. So it does sound like they're going to go in that direction. But in terms of the actual broadcast, instead of going backwards to be like more natural, it, they're, they're going completely the other way. It's just, I'm just like, you're not listening to your fans because it's not just you guys that are saying that if you go online and look on hockey, like discords or hockey reddits or forums, it's everybody saying, we just want, you know, when a goal is scored, we don't want the goalie sucking on the water bottle. When the, when the puck is dropped to center ice, we don't want a, you know, a view from the bench. We want to watch the game the way it's meant to be watched. Yeah. An old school broadcast. And yeah, cut, cut so it's, it's going to be in half. It's going to be anything but an old school broadcast from what it, from what it sounds like. They, they're they going to be taking risks. They said it's a big opportunity to reinvent things and to come up with a bang. And he, you know, he kept saying, you know, it is a risk, but um, sometimes you just have to go with it. And I'm just like, that's at least from my point of view, that's not what I want. I just want like there's so many camera angles I don't like. I, I don't like the. The, like the football style camera that's on the cable. I don't like it when they put the camera on behind the net. I just like the standard broadcast back and forth, left to right camera. If you gave me that 90% of the time, I'd be fine with it. Everybody who goes to a hockey game has one seat and they, they pay for that's, that that's one right. seat. They, so they pay 200 bucks or whatever it is they pay for that seat. And they sit there and they watch the whole game all game long from that seat. And that's the perspective that the fan has that actually pays money to go into the thing. I want the home viewer to have that same experience. Show me one main camera, most or all of the time, show a few other angles on replays, and leave it alone. And if these people want to get fired, go ahead and do it that way. I know one thing, as much as I love hockey and as much as I love my team, if they're going to do that kind of stuff and turn it into a, I don't know, a, a basketball all-star game or whatever the heck it's going to be, I'm, I probably won't watch. I, I'm probably out. Like, I totally agree. From like from what they were saying was it was like there's a lot of intrigue of what the audio will sound like when the games come back because fans mask out 95% of what happens on the ice. Like you'll hear a shot, you'll hear like a hard turn on the skate, you'll hear like a post, but you don't hear all the like the chat and the jab and you don't hear any of that for the most part. Like every now and then you'll hear one, but like that's all you're going to hear now. And I think that's why he said that you're going to play music and and they're talking about mic and players up and like I I don't know. I just, I, I really uh, like that podcast, but that interview really left me feeling like, oh, like this is like, how do so I get an NBC feed? Basically, how do I get an NBC? It was, it was Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman and they were asking him all kinds of questions. And Kyle Bukoskas was there too, because Kyle's the guy who does, you know, like the rinkside interviews and he's there, but you know, pregame, he's down on the ice. He talks to the players and they were talking about how they were going to change that up. But, um, so what was their reaction to his comments? I don't know. It it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was positive, but I w- I wouldn't say it was negative either. Like, um, apparently this guy's been doing the uh, Hockey Night in Canada production for a long time. Like, both Jeff and Elliot used to work for him when they were sideline reporters, so he's been doing it for quite a while. So I don't know if they just 
out of respect for him, didn't say anything, but it he's didn't it boss. didn't it didn't sound like they were totally against it. Like he's it's not necessarily their boss because he works for Hockey Night in Canada, which is technically a CBC and Rogers merge thing. Like Yeah. So I'm not sure, but I I, just, I don't think they were there to try to bang on him or bag on him kind of to, about what's coming out. But I mean, if it, if if we're listening to music and we're listening to a bunch of stupid interviews and and camera angles that are crazy, then I'm just going to try to find an NBC feed, which is bad. Because totally. Especially with the news that Chris Cuthbert is switching over to Sportsnet. Like, that's huge news for oh, Sportsnet. Yeah, like I'm massive. I'm super pumped for that. But I mean, if 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 I have to deal with all the other stuff. Then I'm sorry, Chris Cuthbert, but I'm going to try to find an NBC feed or switch channels to NBC and just watch that on there. Yeah, I will do whatever I have to do. I, I, I've watched games in French, and I will watch a game in Russian if I have to, or, or Italian, uh, if it gets me away from that. <laughs> because I have I have ways now. I have a box, and I can watch basically anything <laughs> anywhere the way I want to watch it. And my life has changed for the better. Like... I'm not saying that the people who want those things, if those people do actually exist, I'm not saying that they're wrong. Everyone definitely has their own opinions and different viewpoints. But I can't imagine that he actually talked to traditional hardcore hockey fans and got that response. I, my mind just well, they, can't comprehend. They didn't talk to fans. They talked to players. About camera angles and stuff? About camera angles. Basically everything. They wanted. They wanted to talk to players about you know this is how things have been we have a chance to reinvent coming back in you know this is a this is a unique playoff format so we're going to have a unique production to go along with it what kind of things would you like to see and for the players for the most part it was we want to get rid of these type of interviews and we'd rather you ask us these kind of questions and stuff like that that was mostly what the players said that's valid he did reference saying he did reference saying it's important to listen to the viewers because that's what Elliot friedman kept saying he kept saying you know you know, he said, we're, you know, we're in a sports bubble, a broadcast bubble. So, you know, people like Ellie and people like Shirelli and, and all them who are, who are talking, you know, they live in their own bubble where they're trying to, to do thing to more and more things all the time that they're, that, you know, ways that they can improve. But outside of that bubble where our regulars, where our regular Joes are, um, we don't want all that stuff. And that's what Elliot said. Like you, ha- it's important to make sure that, you know, who you're making this for is also enjoying it. And they're kind of what he kind of said, you know, it, it is important, but he never really followed that up. He just kept saying how, you know, they're going to be experimenting with music while the games are going. And he said it was important that whoever's producing the individual games, they have to know the right times to pull the music back so that they can let the natural sound in the arena take over. Uh, And I just, I literally was in my car and I put my head up to my head and I was like, Oh no, this is not what people want. This could be the the next glowing puck. Yeah. Yeah, Fox for for a year and a half, and then yeah. it's gone forever. And whoever thought it up is fired. And that's what so yeah. that's what might happen to this guy. I do think the players are valid when they talk about the kinds of questions they want to be asked because I think they're they're in alignment with the fan base when it comes to that stuff. Because I don't know any fan that really wants to hear how the player's going to you know give one hundred and ten percent in the next period. Uh, but players have no idea. Frankly, they're experts in playing hockey. That's why they're paid millions of dollars to do it. They're not experts in broadcasting. And I wouldn't care what a player says about that any more than I would care what a player says about climate change, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that yeah. made me think of you guys. And I was just, it's going to be a sad day if if that's what we go back to. That's all I'll say. I'll be super disappointed. And I'll, I'll make my, my voice heard on this podcast if that's what happens. <laughs> totally. It will, we'll we might them. have like a 30, we might have a 30 minute rant on CBC or maybe even Neil can make a specific video 
addressing well, CBC and Rogers saying, listen, Hockey Night Canada, what the F? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we're in a unique position, too, where we get to read a lot of comments for the past three years because we've talked about this stuff in the past. So we already know that there's a ton of people who agree with us. So if there's that many people that we already know agree with us, how many more people agree with us as well? So it has to be done. If this goes bad and if they actually end up doing it and it's crap, we will speak. All they really need to do, if they're worried about the ambient noise of the game now becoming more prominent, is they just have to run a track in the background. Just take random fan noise from any of the last 50 years and just yep. the odd little toot and horn and whatever and just run that at 30 decibels all through the arena while they're playing. Problem solved. They don't mm-hmm. have to invent new stuff. It's just so stupid. Yeah. But anyway. But can, can you imagine being the guy who works for CBC or Rogers or Sportsman or whoever, and your job is to go into the Pittsburgh Montreal series, analyze what you think is going to happen, and then go out and try to find 30 music tracks that could be appropriate to the game (laughs) you're about to watch. Because that's what he was talking about. The tempo of the game, the emotion of the game. He wants to play those tracks when they're appropriate in the game. And I'm just like, I don't understand how that's a job and I don't understand how that's a thing. But anyways, that's that's, that's could be what what we're looking at. It's totally going in the wrong direction. And I just thought I'd bring Jeez. that up because I knew you guys would enjoy yeah. that. Um, I wanted to ask you guys a question, uh, unrelated, off topic about what we're talking about right now. But I wanted to make sure that we talked about it before we ended this. Ended this. Uh, I've already given my opinion on the whole 24-team uh, playoff, even though it's not 24-team playoff. The, plim- pl- the play-in round is best of five, which we know now, which I didn't know at the time I filmed that video. And then everything... After that, it's going to be best of seven series. Generally, what is your guys' thoughts on this 24-team setup? Uh, Jason, you can go first. Um, I'm indifferent to it. I don't like it. I don't hate it. Um, I wasn't sure what I thought when they first announced it, but I guess it's been news for such a long time now that I kind of just got used to it, to be fair. Um, I have no problem with Montreal and them playing. I mean, that doesn't really bother me. I am worried about the teams that are in the top of their divisions. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to be ready or not, because you're having, you know, the, the, the entry round, I guess, is that what you call it? Like, it's not the first round. It's basically the entry round to see who gets into the first round. They're going to be fighting for their lives right off the bat. Whereas the, the teams that are playing for the seating, like the one through four teams, I mean, sure, they're going to be playing hard, but it's not do or die for them. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about how like my team, like Boston's going to do. Um, but I, I'm okay. As long as hockey comes back for this year, I'm, I'm fine with whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Dad. I'm uh, I'm okay with it as well. I I don't think if if you gave me the job of put me in a room for a week and you know what would I come up with from scratch as to how to handle this where we respect the top teams and and give them an easier path yet we don't exclude teams that are between 16 and 24 because they were close and they had winning records or at least 500 records and it wasn't really time to slam the door on them for the season. I don't think I could have come up with a system that's superior to this one. This one maybe isn't perfect, but I can live with it. I fully understand the people that are not happy. And if someone is very passionate about having just the top 16 go into four series of seven games each and forget the play-in idea, I would understand that. The fact there is a play-in a play-in round with the best of five, I think Pittsburgh has a good point about them not being really happy about the risk that they're undertaking here. Pittsburgh was probably going to make the playoffs anyway. And now here they have to face a rested 
motivated team in Montreal with Carey Price, who's had all kinds of time to clear his mind or whatever goes on in goalies' heads. And if if he's if he goes on a roll here, uh, Pittsburgh could be unfairly knocked out of the playoffs. Now, the teams that are in the bottom eight, the Montreals, the Arizonas, uh, people like that, they have a less than 1% chance of getting in uh, anyway, or not getting in, but getting getting the Stanley Cup is what I should say. So if that's the case, if you just look at the math, um, what are we doing this for? If they really have no chance of getting the cup anyway, let's just end it early. That, that People could make that argument. But, but I'm generally okay with it. It's only five games. Uh, the best team should win. And put it this way, if one of those bottom eight teams does go on a run and ends up winning the Stanley Cup, they will have to do it having won more playoffy type games than ever before mm-hmm. because in the past the the team that wins the cup has to win 16 games ever since 1987 they have to win 16 games to get the cup if you're from the bottom eight you're going to have to win 19 games to get the cup and you may lose as many as 14 in the process uh on your way through to try to get this cup you have to play five series um there was i saw some writing that this would be an asterisk season that if whoever wins the cup this year will have a little star next to them because it's not really real. It's absolutely real. And this actually it's, may be the yeah. most deserved Stanley Cup in in a hundred years. So I'm okay with that. So I'm gonna yeah, follow that I'm gonna really follow that up. I actually think one of the teams that are ranked nine through twelve is going to beat the team they're they're gonna play against. Like is, I would Is it the Rangers? I'm not sure who it is, but I mean if 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 you were to give me a percentage or tell me to make a percentage guess on what's the chances that one of these under eight teams are going to beat their, their play-in team, I'm yep. going high on that. I'm going over 50. I think someone's going to do it. Like, I agree. I, totally I think, think it's, it's over 50. Happen. So you think it's going to be Rangers and Carolina? Would you, is that what your guess? Or? I think Rangers are winning. I think uh, Columbus think, has a chance. I was just going to say, Montreal I think has Columbus a has a chance over Toronto. Yeah, I, there's a lot of teams. Honestly, I think it's it could be up to like 70%. It, there's a lot of potential here. How do you guys feel about Montreal and Pittsburgh being Habs fans? I, I lo- I'm loving it. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, you I have ex- to be. I, I don't expect Montreal to, to get through that round, frankly. I really don't. If, if we look at the teams that skated off the ice on the 10th of March or whenever the last game was, uh, but we're not looking at the same team anymore. We've had all kinds of time to mm-hmm. get ready in Heal this up. off time. I'm comparing it to NASCAR in a different way. In NASCAR, if there's a complete shutdown of a race, they they have what they call a red flag, where all the cars have to stop on the track. Those cars that are in the pit, pit lane, they're not allowed to work on those cars. You can't fix a flat. You can't bang a dent. You have to watch the car. You can look at it, but you can't touch it. And nothing can happen until the red flag is gone and they throw the yellow again and things start to move. So time is frozen. That's how it happens in NASCAR when you freeze something. But in the NHL... The guys can still work out. They can still keep themselves mentally prepared. They can do whatever they're doing to get ready for this series. And it's a whole new season now. So the Montreal and Pittsburgh teams that skated off the ice on the 10th of March are not the same teams that are going to skate back on the ice on the 20th of July and or whenever it is. And I think it's a whole new ball game. And I think you guys are right. There's going to be a a more than average chance that some of these bottom feeder teams will at least get into the playoffs. And I, the way, the way I look at that series is if you, if you think Carey Price can win you a game, then you only have to win two more, right? 
So if yeah, he, if, if totally. he wins you a game, you win two more, you're in. And I, I, it, I just, Carey Price can totally win you a game, depending on what Carey Price shows up. Yeah. Even so, I mean, from an injury perspective. I don't think Pittsburgh is feeling great about this series, is what I would say. Like maybe they are the favorites to win, but I don't think they're feeling great about it. I, no. Pittsburgh has Montreal in their head as well, a little bit. Uh, we have to go back 10 years to 2010, but I vividly remember when Montreal played Pittsburgh in the 2010 playoffs and defeated Pittsburgh in seven games in the second round. And that was that was simply not supposed to happen. And I would argue that Montreal beating Pittsburgh in this year's playoffs, or even the, the play-in round, rather, uh, should not happen. So I think Pittsburgh knows that it can happen, and they they won't be run over by Montreal if Montreal wins. If Montreal does win, it's going to be a long series, likely to those five games. Yeah. So... If you look at the West and the other 12-5 series, that's Chicago and Edmonton. Could you see Chicago beating Edmonton? Yeah, I mean, Chicago is is kind of a sleeper team. They, they have, they're still built fairly well. They've got uh, a little bit more youth on their side now than they have in the past couple of years. Youth has gotten uh, more, the youth that, that was there and is there now has gotten a little bit more experience in the past uh, couple of years. They've made some interesting trades as well, and they really were kind of on on the on the bubble uh this year on the way to maybe being on the other side of the bubble next year they were uh coming they at the top fell down and on their way back up so a team with that mentality knowing that they are kind of the underdog but knowing that they do have the players and the talent to maybe do something special i mean edmonton has to be a little bit worried about chicago if they're not they're foolish Mm-hmm. And Chicago's got experience, and Patrick Kane's still Patrick Kane, so it's and it's Edmonton still Edmonton, right? So I mean, I don't know. I like I said, I just think there's a very high chance that one of these lower teams is gonna is gonna advance to the playoffs, and it's gonna be. I don't know if it's necessarily gonna be a shock, but I don't think yeah. it, like so there's some people out there that are writing off all of the under eight teams, and I just think that that's foolish. Like you can't. Yeah, I and, agree. And the Patrick Kane that normally would have gone into the playoffs in early April if the season had gone normally if Chicago had made it would have been a Patrick Kane with 82 games and under his belt and probably feeling like his age. But mm-hmm. now we have a Patrick Kane with two and a half or three or four months rest going into this series. I think you got a brand new Patrick Kane too. Uh, you could say that with the whole team. I mean that the core of that team is pretty old with Taves yeah. and Seabrook and Keith and, and Patrick Kane uh, Crawford, like these aren't young boys anymore. So to be able to have that little bit of reset and to still have the skill and the experience that they have, like Chicago might be a seriously dangerous team in this play, uh, playing round and after. So, I mean, Edmonton has to take it seriously. And anyone who plays Chicago after Edmonton, if, if Chicago wins, you cannot, you cannot uh, underestimate Chicago. So this is going to be a really exciting time as a hockey fan just to watch this go down, regardless of who you cheer for, to watch these underdog <laughs> underdog teams uh, come in and see what they can do is just it's it's really cool and and again some people will argue that this is a waste of time and this should not be happening regardless and I don't necessarily disagree with that argument but uh, from a hockey fan perspective just viewing it is going to be uh, pretty amazing in my opinion. Yep. Cool hockey, hockey in the summer. You can be down at the lake, chill out in the day at night, watch your team play. It's gonna be strange. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be awesome to watch so many games. We just gotta hope that hockey night in Canada doesn't screw it up. Neil might not remember uh, this, but back uh, when when he was quite small, uh, we were camping by then. Like you know, I think Montreal was was in the playoffs and they were going deep. We're probably talking around 
1995, you know, I don't think it was back in the 93 cup run, but it was maybe later in the decade. And we were all camping at Mactaquack Park, just up uh, the river from Fredericton. And I had a little television, you know, rigged up. And, and we also went to another campground with, with our friends, John and Sue, and had my little TV rigged up there. And on Saturday nights at the campground, we're watching scratchy, hockey, snowy picture on a little TV uh, because it was the summertime and you're camping and you're watching hockey. And I just thought that was so weird to be watching <laughs> yeah. hockey outdoors. We're sitting out with a campfire here and the TV there. So you're warming your hands in the campfire and you're watching hockey at the same time. And we're going to have that this summer as well. And I can't wait. I think, I, I hope, like I saw Gary interviewed last week and it's like, Gary, is there any chance that we're going to do anything with this uh, adjustment that might become a thing down the road? Not a chance, he said. This is, we're going to go back to our old way. We're not going to have this in the future. Um, this is just a one-off only. I, I hope that's really not the case. I hope they leave themselves open-minded to how this thing may produce some good ideas that maybe could be perpetuated down the road once things go back to normal, whatever that is. Mm. It all comes down to views. Mm. Yeah. And well, money. <laughs> everything comes down to money. So I think that's good, guys. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, uh, it's good. good discussion. It's nice to hear from both you guys. Um, we're going to hope that this works because we haven't hit the stop button yet. And like I said, this is the yeah. first time we are running this program. So this could all be for naught, but hopefully you all will get to hear this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If, if you get to hear it, it's because it worked. But yeah, as, as Jason said, we're sitting here right now feeding information into a bunch of memory cards that each of us have. We're all going to link it together and upload it and it's going to get put together. Jason, you're doing the post-production area. I'm going to try yep, as long as everything works out. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we have no clue. We're we're doing, but if you hear us talking, it's obviously because it worked, or at least some of it worked, and uh, that's the miracle of technology. And we are learning to do things now with because of this, because of all the new features that have been set up uh, for online collaboration that we didn't even dream about just a few months ago. So that's one good thing that's coming out of this that it, I can be back on the podcast once in a while, and I really enjoy it. Totally. Yeah. And like I said, we've always been looking at ways to, to bring guests on too. So if hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll be able to go back down to the studio. But if this does become a thing where we have to use it, you know, maybe a couple more times, you know, we do have the option of kind of tweaking things here and there. So I'm uh, looking forward to definitely getting back down the studio, but this is a great alternative rather than having no podcast at all. Heck yeah. All right, Neil, why don't you uh, close us out here? Yeah, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks everyone for for watching, listening. If you are watching on YouTube, I'd love it if you could hit the subscribe button. We're uh, obviously trying to grow the podcast channel as as uh, quickly as we can. And uh, for all you iTunes and uh, Google Play listeners or whoever you consume our podcast audibly, uh, we really appreciate you guys. Uh, any any downloads that you give us, uh, you know, we're always watching the numbers, whether it's on YouTube or there are downloads on iTunes and stuff. So. Uh, we really appreciate uh, everyone, even who, who watches on YouTube and downloads the podcast. You guys are awesome. Uh, like we always say, leave your feedback down below in the comment section. Tell us the things you liked. Tell us the things that uh, maybe we could improve on. And uh, we'll continue to listen. So hope everyone's staying safe up there and uh, behaving. And we'll catch you hopefully next week on the next uh, podcast. We'll catch you later. Adios.